This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey friends, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. This episode of the podcast is supported by Lagoon. Listen, the best pillows out there. You have got to check out Lagoon. You take a two-minute survey, share about what you care about, how you sleep, all those things, and you're matched up with a pillow that will be the pillow of your dreams. I guarantee it. I am obsessed with Lagoon pillows. I am the otter and... My favorite thing is they send the stuffing so you can fill it as little or as much as you'd like. And it's also, my pillow is like cooling. Like it feels cooling and I sleep really hot. So it's amazing. Uh, go to lagoonsleep.com slash Lindsay and use the code Lindsay for 15% off your order. All right. Today's episode of the podcast is with Matt McDonald. A really, really fun episode with Matt. He was such a fun guest. So Matt finished 10th at the Boston Marathon this past year in 2023, second American behind Scott Fobble. He lives in Boston and trains with the Boston Athletic Association. He placed 10th at the 2020 U.S. Olympic Trials in the Men's Marathon, running 2:12:19. He is at a personal best of 2:11:10. He has a half marathon PR of 63:56. He's a graduate of Princeton University. He holds a doctorate in chemical engineering at Georgia Institute of Technology and is currently a postdoctoral associate in chemical engineering at MIT. He's got a full plate. He works a lot, he runs a lot, and he is for sure one to be watching in the trials for the marathon this coming February. So he's super fun and interesting, very insightful. I truly hope you love this conversation with Matt as much as I did. All right, friends, before we get started, I want to thank Two Before for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This is a unique pre-workout that is made up of blackcurrant berries grown in New Zealand that contain high levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins. Blackcurrant anthocyanins are science-backed and benefit-packed. Blackcurrant berries improve your endurance, they kickstart your recovery, and they strengthen your immunity. You can drink it daily 30 to 45 minutes before you work out. I just mix it up with water and take it before a workout. I am loving it. 2 Before is offering an exclusive limited time offer to our listeners. Big discount here, 30%. Nobody does 30%. 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to 2before.com. That's the number two before.com and use the code Lindsay. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Matt McDonald. All right, friends. Well, today on I'll Have Another, we have Matt McDonald joining us. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So you're in the break room at work. Let's just start off by telling everybody what you do for work. Sure. Um, so I am a, a postdoc at MIT in the chemical engineering department. Um, and we're doing really cool stuff trying to combine 
how we can use machine learning and AI to sort of further the field of chemistry and discovering new chemistries and new molecules and hopefully uh, sort of automating the whole process by which a lot of new um, materials and drugs and food flavorings and all sorts of stuff is discovered. I mean, I have to be honest. I know you're a very nice guy, but when I was like looking at your, like you went to Princeton, PhD at Georgia Tech, you're in chemical engineering. I was like, um, am I going to not feel very smart when I talk to him? <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Um, I really, so one of my goals in a uh, non-running sense is to be a professor of chemical engineering one day. And the class I think I'm most looking forward to teaching is the introductory class. Because I really like getting people excited about it and not boring them with all of the details that, um, you know, only people that have been in the field for five years care about. Well, let's dig into this a little bit more before we dig into running, which will be the bulk mm -hmm. of the conversation. How did you even become interested in this when you were in school? Oh, because I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> in high school, I really liked chemistry. Uh, I had a great chemistry teacher. Chemistry class was fun. And so I went to college um, with no doubt that I was going to do chemical engineering because I figured you know, it's just chemistry, but the engineering, um, it's not, it's really <laughs> chemical engineering has almost no chemistry in it. Uh, it's a lot of math. Um, and what I would as a high schooler call physics, not chemistry. Uh -huh. Um, but I, I liked it just as much. So I, I feel like I kind of got duped by the name, but, um, I turned out to really enjoy it and actually, sort of bringing it full circle, um, I'm learning a lot more chemistry now as a postdoc than I did through uh, an undergraduate degree or grad school. Um, so I am finally getting to, you know, satiate that, that craving for chemistry, but I've learned a lot of cool math along the way. Wow. Okay. So your work schedule, you're like, is it a, a typical eight to five? Um, no, I have a lot of flexibility, which okay. is fantastic. Um, Right, because we all want to wake up in the morning and go for our run. And there was a time in my life when I could roll out of bed and be running five minutes later. Um, but in the past like year or two, I lost that. I don't know what happened. So I now need like an hour to enjoy my coffee before I can even think about running. Um, so it's really good that uh, you know my coworkers and my boss are okay if I get here at ten, ten thirty, and work until six thirty or seven. Um, because like the, the traditional eight to five, I think would kill me. And then what would I do all evening? <laughs> I know. And it's like, I don't know. I think the world is moving a little bit away from that as far as like people having more flexibility and, and not having to do that exact, those exact hours. What do you do in that hour when you're drinking your coffee? Are you reading books? Um, I, I read a lot of the news. Um, I love playing the like mini crossword and Wordle on the New York Times app, as nerdy as that sounds. <laughs> um, and yeah, if I'm in the middle of a good book, sometimes I'll, I'll be reading a book. But to be honest, a book is like a big undertaking for somebody that doesn't have like big chunks of free time regularly. Yeah. So um, when I do read like books, I usually go for like collections of short stories or memoirs, things that are like already broken up into little digestible chunks. Um, I think the last time I read like a real book that, you know, you wasn't <laughs> affectionate like 
it wasn't more or less what Instagram has turned like the internet into. Um, it was over a year ago. Um, but it was a good book. It was, uh, um, the body, a guide for occupants by Bill Bryson. Oh, okay, cool. Is it about like, just like the human body and athletics or? It is, there's a little bit of athletics. It is just about, um, like anatomy and it sort of, you know, takes you from the perspective of somebody who knows absolutely nothing about anatomy, which I really don't know anything about it other than what I've learned from getting injured here and there. Um, and it just like walks you through the whole body and it does so in a very humorous and approachable way. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I guess let's talk about running now. Uh, Sure. Why not? I, I loved learning about your history and four-time Boston marathoner and 10th this year, second American. So as a spectator and fan of the sport, that seems like a really big accomplishment and you live in Boston. So let's start with Boston and just the trajectory of your career there. Boston has been really good to me the past two Bostons, but it was not good to me the first two. Um, so when I ran the first one in 2019, I was living in Atlanta because I was doing grad school at Georgia Tech. Um, and shockingly enough, it was so hot that April 18th or whatever. <laughs> and I thought coming from Atlanta, I'd be able to handle whatever heat Boston could throw my way. But no, it turns out this place can get hot and humid. Um, but more recently, yeah, um, you know, it like getting 10th this past April was amazing. Um, I think now that we're like three months past that, I can appreciate it a bit more. There's always that feeling, right, who's ever finished something that they've really wanted to do a lot and felt that, you know, they're totally satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. I think all all runners have this desire to always want more out of themselves. Um, but now looking back, I can be like, okay, 10th was, you know, it was really something special. Um, but living in Boston makes it so much more special because, um, you know, I run the course a lot, like three, four times a week in March and February, I was just out on the course running, getting to know the hills, um, really just making sure that when it came time to push through the hard part of the race, I would know it better than anyone else. And I hoped that knowing it better than anyone else would allow me to push harder than anyone else. But of course, that's not how that always works. <laughs> um, yeah. So I noticed in the in the um, the finishing too, it's like Scott Fobble's the first American, then you, and then they're like, there's like three right behind mm-hmm. you. And I know we're a little far removed from the actual race, but it's still fun to kind of hash it out a little bit. Uh, were, who were you running with of those American men during the race? Yeah, so um, for a lot of the race, we had a, a pack of myself, Scott Fobble, um, Nico Montañez. Uh, who else was with us? I, I think the three of us and a few um, international runners um, really packed up through the whole front half of the race and then stuck together through the Newton Hills. Um, And then as we were coming up heartbreak, we spotted CJ Albertson, who was Mm. one of the Americans that finished right behind. And there's always this chase mentality and CJ really likes to hit the front half of the Boston Marathon hard. Um, And so there's always sort of this like desire to like get him back for for going out so fast. (laughs) Um, But it took me like a long time to catch him, right? Like, 
we spotted him on our way up Heartbreak Hill, and I didn't catch up to him until we were like by maybe almost even the sicko sign with like less than two miles to wow, go. Wow! Um, so he really, uh, in the past, he's like fallen apart hard, but he's really um, gotten much stronger over the second half of these races. Um, and then Connor Mance, uh, who I did not realize I was coming up on so quickly. Um, I didn't spot him until about 1K to go. Uh, and he was quite far ahead of me still with 1K to go, but he was hurting pretty hard from a very aggressive first half of the race. But I have to give him a lot of credit for really, uh, you know, putting himself in there with the greatest marathoners of all time and saying, hey, I'm I'm one of these guys too and I'm going to fight until the end. And um, it's not a mentality that I have in myself yet, but I'm envious of it. And I wish that I did think of myself that way. So, okay. So I have a lot of thoughts with that because I always think about this and – um, with CJ, like you said, like he started struggling or whatever you want to call it a little bit further mm-hmm. out this time. And it's like with someone who races like that, it's like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep risking it. I'm going to keep risking it. I'm going to keep mm-hmm. risking it until maybe one day it really pans out and I can hold on for that last 2k. Uh, how do you decide like how far you risk? Yeah. I mean, I have to give him a lot of credit because I have a feeling one of these times it is going to pay out really big for him. And he's just going to run a 208, maybe 207 marathon out of nowhere. I don't yeah. think that'll happen on the Boston course because it's yeah. a very aggressive second half of the course. But for myself, I've always felt I'm a little more risk averse. Mm. Um, and maybe that's held me back a little bit in some instances. Um, but I just don't, I don't want to say I don't have the confidence to do it. But it's not like who I am to to go and lay it all on the line. I would rather have, you know, a solid performance every time than uh, risk blowing up big, but with the potential upside of really having a huge PR. Yeah. So, but I'm curious because you said like, you know, now you're celebrating it and you feel really good. But then was the hesitancy early on like, did I have a little bit more? Oh, uh yeah, immediately after the race, the issue was definitely, we went through the first half pretty quick. I'm not the fastest marathoner out there in terms of like foot speed. I prefer to try and just even split the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so we came through the half in 64 minutes. Um, and then I ran two hours and 10 minutes and change. So the second half was two, two minutes, 20 seconds slower than the first half. Okay. Um, so immediately after, like, just sort of uh, analyzing the race, I was thinking, well, maybe if I had taken the first half 30 seconds slower, the second half might have only been, you know, a minute slower. And then all of a sudden, you've netted 45 seconds, just by being a bit more conservative. Um, so but the problem, yeah, I mean, you can't, the other thing is, I have to work on giving up control a little bit, right? You can't control how the guys you're going to race with are going to race. But you also can't do it alone in a marathon. You need that pack to to pull you through when you're struggling. So, you know, I committed to running with some really fast guys and they wanted to go through in 64 minutes and we did. And it ended up working out okay for me. But immediately after I was just thinking, oh, if we had just been more conservative, I would have been faster at the end. Okay, so that's the part of the race where you thought maybe I could have perfected mm-hmm. it a little bit more. But you're right, yep. you have to give up control. You have to be with the pack. Yeah. 
Exactly. And that's something I've even been trying to work on in workouts. Like um, we've got a, ga- a great group of guys with the BAA and uh, we've been hitting up the track a little bit more this summer. And I've been just focusing on not looking at my watch when it's not my turn to lead a rep. So if we're doing mile repeats or something, you know, I, I could check my watch every 400 meters and see if we're on pace or not. But if we're going too fast, I don't have the ability to slow them down. And if we're going too slow, then it'll happen. But I have to trust that my teammates are going to take me through the reps quickly enough. And that if we're going too fast, then I have to trust myself to be able to keep up. So. Yeah, it's that whole, obviously, that concept we all talk about, like running based on effort. And a lot of times I think that those breakthroughs can happen when we don't obsess over the time, because Mm -hmm. maybe if you're obsessing, you're going harder and you don't even realize how fast you're actually running. And you have this like breakthrough workout, which results in breakthrough races. Yeah, I agree 100 percent with that. I think effort based work is so much more productive than really focusing on hitting a certain pace. Obviously, we need to hit paces because, um, you know, that's a good proxy for the the effort you're putting in, but also where you might expect the competition to be in a race and where you might want to be from a PR perspective when you're running a race. But uh, if you just fixate on paces, you're really not paying attention to your body, which ultimately is what we need to be doing because, you know, there's all these like... I don't want to hate on some of the the really cool new tools that have been coming out. But like, there's a lot of bracelets and stuff that are giving you all sorts of feedback on heart rate. And I talk to people that want to like test their uh, lactic levels between reps and stuff. And that all sounds really good. But my question is like, what do you do with that? That's all just a a proxy measure for how do you feel? Mm -hmm. And if you can't tell how you feel, then in the race, you're going to be in big trouble because you can't stop to prick and get a, a lactic acid reading. You can't stop to to get a good heart rate measurement, you know? Yeah. I So I have these like training plans that I sell on my website for, you know, everyday mm-hmm. runners and they're half and full and, and marathons. And my husband and I went back and forth when we created these because we, we are so much believers in this like run based on effort feel um, type of running. And they, mm-hmm. I have a pace chart and I'm like, when you buy a training plan, this pace chart is a guide so that if you say you want to run a 325 marathon, you can say, okay, I should be hitting around this range for workouts. Not, mm-hmm. I have to hit this for workouts. Um, and I think that's why people hire coaches a lot because they like, can you mentally get yourself to not obsess over the pace without a coach? But it's so much Probably cheaper not, to just yeah. buy a training <laughs> plan, you know, like some people mm-hmm. can't afford the coach. So Um, I always caveat it with, you have to listen to your body. You have to figure out this effort scale and then use it as a guide to say like, maybe I'm not in shape for the 325. Maybe I'm in more shape for a 330 based on what my effort was producing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it is more of like the paces should tell you what to expect from a PR. You can't go and say, this is the PR I want and force Force. the paces. (laughs) Totally. Um, Okay, so did placing 10th and coming in the second marathon, uh, second American in Boston, you know, with this group of guys that you said put themselves up there with the fastest mm-hmm. in the world at the beginning, did where you landed, did that give you some confidence to put yourself in that group? Um, I think I'm definitely feeling more confident now than I was before the race. Um, but 
I also think a big point is something my coach has been stressing with me as we look, you know, way into the distant future at the Olympic trials, Mm. which is we just want to string together a series of good performances, right? We don't want to have the bad race that could set you back a bit. Um, So he's been really big on, uh, you know, how can we just build cycle after cycle um, and get better? So while I'm feeling like more confident about it, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I've had, you know, like, uh, I guess three, like really good races in a row now, um, or what I would call races that I'm like very happy with. Um, and you know, if we can just keep that trajectory going for a few more races, then I think some really great things could happen. But yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, like if, if we're talking about the Olympic trials, then yeah, I have to put myself in a race with those guys. There's no, no way around it, you know? Yeah, I know. And it's so soon. Like, yeah. Ah, and so you were 10th at the trials last time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, I'm just trying to think of like people who have placed 10th in the past and then gone on to make teams or I'm like, what was Kira D'Amato in 2020? She was 15th and then she went and broke the American record in the marathon. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of really cool things that people that place 10th or 15th or 8th, they go on yeah. to do later on. So that was like a stepping stone to where you are now. Yeah, the, the 2020 trials was really a fun race. It was in Atlanta. I was living in Atlanta mm. um, and I was really well prepared for it. And my 10th place finish, I actually felt awful about because I was in like third place at mile 21. Were Um, you? Yeah, obviously it fell apart. But for a little while, I let myself believe something pretty dangerous. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was tough. Oh, man. What was going on? So you're in third place at mile 21 and then walk us through that. Um, so the course climbs up or climbed up this decently big hill on Peachtree Street, which I had run a million times. Um, and I had all of my friends and family, they were hanging out at a restaurant at the top of the hill and I could hear them, um, just going crazy. And I was in third and I had just passed, I believe, Abdi, um, to, to take third. And I thought I could could do it. I, the course wasn't super aggressive from that point on. There was just um, one more decent climb, uh, but I didn't have much more. And I could feel at around mile 20, some pings of cramps and things starting to go wrong. Um, and then, uh, you know, some people just started flying by me. And once it became clear that I didn't have a chance, it sort of really all fell apart for me. And I just focused on getting to the finish line. Um, but it was, it was incredibly exciting for a little bit. And I did like mentally go to that place of like, I am going to be an Olympian. Like this is, this is it. It's happening. Um, and then immediately after the race, right? Like it's, you're surrounded by people and there's like, you know, some reporters and whatnot that want to talk to you. And then immediately after that, I had to go meet up with my friends and family who had come from all over the country to watch. And then, you know, my parents were like staying with me and my best friend was there. So the whole weekend was like busy. And then I just remember driving to work on Monday morning um, and the race was on a Saturday. Uh, So I had had like two days of busyness and not thinking about it. And then on my way to work, I just like 
started crying uncontrollably because the emotions of it finally caught up to me. And it was sort of this moment of like, what am I doing now? Like I've poured myself for months into this one race and now I'm just driving to work like a regular old, old Joe. Um, yeah, it was, it was such a weird experience. And then like two days later, the world shut down because of COVID. So <laughs> it only got weirder. Seriously. Oh my gosh. It's got so weird. Um, wow. What a range of emotions. Like yeah. giving yourself that hope that you, I can do this. Like mm-hmm. I might not be the name that everybody's saying is going to make this team, but like I'm in a position now that I might do it. Yeah. Like, were you thinking I'm going to surprise them all? Like I might be on that podium. I mean, the day before my coach told me that he would bet on me. He said, I would say you're a 50, 50 shot. He's okay. like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you're a favorite to make the team, but I've seen what you've done. And I, I would, you've got a 50, 50 shot. And I believed it. And did I that, went did for that it. Make you feel good. It did. Yeah. I mean, obviously we all want to feel like others believe in us. Sometimes yeah. it's really hard to believe in ourselves, but when you have someone you trust who believes in you, it can go a long way. And, uh, Yeah, he did a good job of pumping me up and getting me prepared for that moment. Um, But it was tough. Hey, friends, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. You know I've been a big fan of Prevenex for years. And one of their products that if you have not tried it, I want to tell you about. It's Joint Health Plus. Joint Health Plus is a supplement that delivers ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief available on the market. I take Joint Health Plus every day. I've had so many runners reach out to me and tell me the difference they feel with this product. These ingredients are vetted and vetted and vetted. I trust this company so much. They deliver premium quality and they have a money back guarantee. So if you take this product for 30 days and you're not noticing a difference, you can get your money back. It is that simple. So what the Joint Health Plus uses is Boswellin. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it is a powerful, natural, and clinically proven anti-inflammatory and pain reliever that provides additional support to the joints. Here's a verified buyer that says, I thought I was on the verge of having to give up running due to severe hip pain and luckily discovered Prevenex, complete game changer for me. Wow. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that'll save you 15% off your order. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, so then you were with Atlanta Track Club, living in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and now you're with BAA. So yes. talk to us about the coaching change and just like training in general. How are things different? That is a great question. Um, so with Atlanta Track Club, uh, I was coached by Amy and Andrew Begley. Um, and they had a really tried and true marathon program. I mean, they like definitely tested it out on us the first cycle or two. But by the trials, I could have told you like every workout that we were going to do three months out. Um And it was, you know, a a lot of long intervals and then long tempo efforts. Um, And I think for where I was at the time, that was exactly what I needed, um, just to get really strong to be able to handle the marathon. Since joining the BAA um, at the beginning of 2021, um, I'm now coached by Mark Carroll, um, who 
is a much speedier guy. In his okay. own career, he was a miler um, and a 5K runner, and he did eventually move up to the marathon where he was also quite fast, but he always came about it from like a, a fast perspective. And so the training has been mixed up a little bit now that like intervals that we do are not nearly as long as they used to be, but they're much faster. Okay. Um, and we're still doing the long tempo effort workouts because you need those for the marathon. I don't think you can possibly get away without them. Um, but the the speed that I feel like he's developed or working on developing in me, um, it really helps to push through the end of a marathon. And I didn't realize it at the time with Atlanta that you need speed, not to be able to you know run fast in a marathon, but mm. just so that your legs are strong enough to handle what's coming. Like to close. Exactly. So you're only 29. Well, I just turned 30, unfortunately. Ah. Yeah. Okay, that's great, though. 30 is an amazing <laughs> place to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a month, month or two into being 30 now, and it hasn't been bad so far. I'm curious, what'd you do for your birthday? What did I do? Oh, yeah. Uh, my fiance, Megan Christian, she um, surprised me. Uh, we were just going to go out and get dinner for my birthday on like a Friday, the Friday before that weekend. And um, she's like, why don't we just go try this bar, like the closest bar to our apartment um, that we'd never been to. And I was like, sure, why not? And I walk in and a bunch of my friends from college Aww. were there. Yay. And yeah, it was amazing. And I had no idea. Like I was literally had no idea. Um, and then obviously we all just had a great time that weekend. And it was great to have them all fly up um, to Boston to celebrate with me. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just really special. Okay. Go Megan. That's awesome. That's so yeah. fun. Yeah. She did really good. And then she got me tickets to go see Bruce Springsteen. So oh, happy about amazing. that too. Are you, you're not a New Jersey person though, are you? I am. I'm from Jersey originally. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that's like extra, that's like extra cool. Yeah. And we're going to the Meadowlands, um, at the end of August to, to watch the boss. I mean, how is he still bossing out, like, so hard? Like, is are his concerts still, like, four hours? Yeah, he just set a, a record, I think, this summer for the longest concert. I mean... By, like, a, a main act. That's insane. And he's mm -hmm. got to be... Is he 65? Like, I, I mean... I think he might be 70. Yeah, he's up there. He's announced he, he's retiring at the end of the okay. year. Okay. From touring, at least. You ha He must take really good care of himself, though, to, to be able to, like go that hard that yeah. long at that age and like you know when you're touring I mean that's just like so intense wow it's exhausting but he he does a good job so yeah <laughs> I've actually never been to a Bruce Springsteen concert um I don't know that I could do the four hours though. That's so long. <laughs> well yeah the, the funny thing is the same group of friends that she invited up for my birthday they started talking about the same concert she had gotten me tickets to and I guess I had neglected to tell her that I had already agreed to go with them. Oh. And so on Wednesday night, I'm going with them. And then on Friday night, I'm going no. with her. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, yep. is, he the, is he the type of act that'll switch it up a little bit? Even if he doesn't, it's still going to be a great time. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, Speaking of Megan, she's been having like a really successful last couple years as well. That's, that's yeah. really exciting. She has figured out that she has this amazing ability to race a marathon and then the next day go for a run and then <laughs> three days later do a workout and then two weeks later run another marathon. I don't know how she does it. 
um, after Boston, we went to Puerto Rico for like a much needed vacation. And she like forced me to go for like a four mile run, like two days after the race. And I, <laughs> there were like some, like the smallest hill imaginable. And I could not go up and down it. And she was like, come on, we have to, we have to get fit again. Um, but yeah, she has really been on a tear just racing, you know, every couple weeks. That's crazy. Um, and, you know, she got a PR um, during the whole thing. Um, at CIM, she, she finally broke 230, which she's been trying to do for such a long time. And she's come so close so many times. Um, she ran, I think, 230.16 at Chicago a few years ago when it was so, so hot. And that was good enough for sixth place, um, which I think says a lot about the effort that she put in for that. 100%, yeah. Um, and then again at Houston, she ran 230.17. And again, it was hot. Um, and she just hasn't lucked out with, like, really ideal conditions yet. Um, but she will. That's the thing about the marathon. It's like, ah, uh, you can be into whatever shape. And it's like, well, if you're in 225 shape and it's like 90 degrees out, yeah, might probably run a 230. It's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, her most recent race was just over Memorial Day weekend. Um, she ran the Vermont City Marathon up in Burlington and it was like 87 degrees and humid and she still ran like 234. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, and it was like, you know, a month and a half after Boston, and we went on vacation for a week and didn't do really much training and whatnot. So um, she's just really got this, like, innate talent for distance. And I would be very curious to see what would happen if she moved up to the ultra, but mm. I don't think she wants to. No, maybe maybe in years to come. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like a different community, right? Totally. Um, and I think she isn't she doesn't want to lose contact with the all the friends she has in the road racing community yeah that would be really hard um okay so you you talked about the training differences mm -hmm. and i mentioned your age and i because i i kind of mentioned that thinking like do you think like the progression of your age like that changing up the training mattered or did that have not have anything to do with it um well, definitely as we get older, it's harder to stay fast. So yeah. it's probably a good thing that there's more emphasis on trying to be speedy. Um, but I'd like to think it doesn't matter. I'm not that old yet. I was going to say, <laughs> and I say that meaning you're still very young, mm -hmm. but when you move to BAA, what, just a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, I say that meaning like 30 is still a baby <laughs> but you know like i even at this morning's workout it's like um there's a a 26 year old that's part of the group and on the last rep he's just able to open it up and yeah i, I don't have that yet even though yeah. i was feeling good and like ready to push it um i have lost the ability to like close a mile in like a 30 second 200 which isn't even yeah. very fast <laughs> yeah uh so Okay, we know the training has changed a little bit since uh, mm -hmm. Atlanta Track Club with BAA. Now going into this trials, mm -hmm. mindset. What are we doing with our mindset now? Well, um, the goal is to have another good marathon at Chicago again this fall. Okay. Um, I think I'm allowed to say that. They're supposed to announce the field today. Uh, so Yeah, and we'll, we'll, this will be a couple yeah. weeks before it comes out, yeah. so you're good. 
Um, so yeah, so the goal is to have another really uh, solid race at Chicago. I'd love for a PR and Chicago is the place to do it. Um, and then just go right into getting ready for the trials. Um, but let the, the positive result from Chicago um, be a little bit of the motivation for the, the trials. Um, but like, as far as mindset goes, that's the hardest part of the sport for me. Um, I don't struggle with getting the mileage in. I don't struggle. I mean, I struggle with workouts to the same extent that everyone else does. You're just tired and there's only so much you can do. But um, when it comes to actually performing, I think like the mindset is where I can improve the most. Um, and so, you know, coach's plan is really just let's continue to just have solid efforts and solid race results. Um, and let's not risk having the bad result, even if it means passing up like the really big PR. Um, but I'm okay with that. I, I like that plan because he realizes that, you know, the finish line for this isn't uh, on October 8th. It's on um, February 3rd. God, that's coming up soon. I know. It's <laughs> wild. So you'll have four um, months in between. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a quick turnaround. Um, but yeah, I mean, the mindset is just trying to stay positive, um, trying to make sure that I know that I'm doing the most I've ever done. And then also a little bit of tuning out what the competition is doing. Yeah. Strava is low key, so dangerous for me, but I will look at the workouts that, you know, some of the other guys are doing and just be like, oh my God, I could never do that. Or like, look at how fast some of the other guys are doing their like recovery runs and be like, oh my God, like I need to recover so much slower than that. Um, the only thing that I think I can like hang my hat on is that I'm getting a lot of mileage in. Um, and I don't think many of the guys put in nearly as many miles, but, uh, I have to, I have to not pay attention to that, um, when it's really time to be working towards the race. Cause it will just kill me or I will kill myself trying to match what they're doing. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that because I just, when I think about you and research you for this, I would think that wouldn't be a bother to you. You don't have time for that. You're doing your thing. And so maybe that, maybe that like brings you to a little bit more of us everyday runner level, like other, you know, people that are competing at your level have these same comparison things in their head too, but that does not translate to like, who's going to win the race. No, it does not. And that's why I have to ignore it. And the other thing about like tuning everyone else out is it allows you to really focus on how well you're doing. Yeah. Um, and you can really just build that positive feedback cycle of like, I had another great workout. I had another week of high mileage. I had, you know, everything that's going well for me and you can build it up to the point where you feel invincible. And it is like sort of those outside influences that tear that down. And I, what do I really know about social media or anything like that? But I have a feeling that's true outside of Strava and running as well. I was, I mean, I was just thinking about that when, as you were talking, I was thinking that, about that with my own work. It's like, if you start comparing yourself to the other people in the game, like then you're not focusing on like what you're excited about or what you're good at or what your lane is or what, you know what I mean? What your specialty exactly. is. And it's like, it kind of waters down what you're doing. Like you're doing that to yourself though. And it, so, you are. Yeah. But it's so hard not to. 
It is. Um, and it's like sad to say that at almost 40. I'm like, <laughs> am I going to be like a 70 year old woman? Like, I don't know what you're, <laughs> what you're comparing yourself to at 70. Maybe that's why at 70, why, maybe that's why people, you know, yeah, I mean, and do all the things. Well, <laughs> so I'll admit, I'm not embarrassed by this. I went to see the Barbie movie this weekend. Nice. And uh, there was like some high schoolers sitting next to me. And they were like on their phones the whole time. So I'm thinking like at least, luckily I was born in the 90s and grew up without a cell phone. But, you know, I still spend so much time on it today. And like you said, I don't even have much free time, but it's addictive. You find a way. It is. I will say I I deleted all my apps for vacation a few weeks ago and I, I was off for like eight days and I've never been off that long, which... You know, some people might think that's crazy or silly. That it sounds like, nice. Yeah. Like, I can't believe you haven't done that. But, like, I sometimes, am I on too much, right? And so, anyway, I did eight days off, and it was, like, such a relief. Like, I would just, like, leave leave my phone in the room for, like, the whole day because mm-hmm. if anybody really needed to get a hold of me, they could call or text my husband, and there was nothing to check. There was nothing yeah. to look at. And you just pick it up without even thinking. When, it's just, when like, nothing going yeah, for comfort, like, you know, you're waiting for the, the subway to get there for two minutes. And it's like, have to stare at my phone for this two minutes. Yeah, we, um at the end of college, uh, our whole team took a trip to Cuba, which this was 2015. And um, there's no cell service in Cuba. And we were there for like 12 days or something. Not only is there not cell service, there's not Wi Fi, there's not internet. Really? really like yeah for the most part in, at least in 2015 if you wanted to get onto like the internet you had to like use one of the like hotel computers that like had a dial-up in. connection yeah yeah um and it was amazing i think all of us like at you know we were leaving and we we're like this has been great like not even like our phone is just a glorified camera at this point yeah. but then as soon as the plane like touched down in miami and everyone started getting notifications it started right back up I know. I know. Like I'll leave my phone in my room in the mornings and I go do my thing. And this morning's a perfect example. I do it on purpose. So I don't look at my phone in the morning. I mm-hmm. read, I drink my coffee and my son grabbed my phone and brought it down. He was like playing a game on it. And I was like, give me my phone. Cause I didn't <laughs> want him on it. But then the second I had it, then I opened it and I'm like, that's why mm-hmm. I leave it in there. Like you got, it's gotta be out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm very glad that I have running yeah. Because I don't take my phone with me. It's I'm distraction free. And that is that's my meditation time. I read somewhere someone said take a healthy balance is to take one day off a week, one week off a month and one month off a year. And I'm like, that's a really good goal. That sounds nice. <laughs> what month though? December? I don't know. Hey, friends. Have you heard about LifeStacks? LifeStacks MCT is the most nourishing thing to add to your morning coffee. It's a delicious MCT creamer packed with functional, science-backed adaptogens that deliver smooth, long-lasting energy. It cuts through fatigue and boosts mood and vitality, especially when you're training hard. You know what I love it for, though, too? I love it for focus when I'm about to do an interview. When I'm about to sit on an interview for over an hour and talk to someone, I will sit there before with my life stacks in my coffee, have a little bit of that, and then I do the interview and I feel like I can focus so much more. I know a lot of people will use it for tempo runs and it comes in three delicious flavors, chocolate, vanilla, and hazelnut. 
Lifestacks MCT puts you in the zone in a way that's helpful, but not overwhelming. It boosts your willpower so that you can keep going strong for longer. It's not a pre-workout, but a whole system upgrade to your health and performance. And you can just find it on Amazon. Lifestacks MCT is what you search for. I also will have that in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. I'll link it on my social media and my stories, lindsayhine626. This is a brain support supplement, and I hope you check it out because it is super awesome. Thank you, Lifestacks, for supporting the podcast. All right, friends, back to the show. Uh, okay, I love I love your mindset going into to the trials, and I'm curious, like, who are you training with um, as you'll train for Chicago? Um, so my teammates with the BAA are uh, Jonas Hampton. He got eighth at the trials in Atlanta, okay. so he's uh, you know an incredibly talented runner and hard worker, and he's very fit right now. So I've got a little bit of catching up to do, um, and then. Josh Kalapos, he's the young guy I mentioned earlier. Okay. Uh, he ran 218 flat at Berlin last year. So he is just sneaking into the trials. But um, this spring, he was so fit for the Boston Marathon. Um, like so incredibly fit. And then he got a stress fracture two oh. weeks before, um, before race day, which was really just heartbreaking. Um but he's very fit again right now. And, uh, you know, he's definitely going to be, um, the continue to be a great training partner through to Chicago. Um, and then we also have a couple of faster guys on the team that aren't quite marathoners yet. Um, Tim McGowan, he's a 10 K guy looking to, you know, make a splash in the half marathon. Hopefully, um, he's good to have for some of these faster track workouts mm-hmm. too. And then, uh, Eric Hamer, NCAA runner-up in the 10K, I believe, or 5K indoors. I may have gotten that wrong. But he's also incredibly fast. Um, and another one of these guys who is doing well on the roads and uh, is you know, good to push the pace in some of these shorter workouts and then you know, let us marathoners take over on the longer ones. So we've got a good balance. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned like going, like driving to work on Monday after the trials last year, after like that hustle Mm -hmm. and bustle of the weekend where you finally got to process everything that happened. Mm -hmm. And I know we talk about it a lot in the running world when we talk to athletes who do both, who are working full time and chasing these dreams, really also full time. I mean, it's like two full time jobs. It is. Uh, Yeah. And I'm curious how you process that. And again, we talked about that comparison earlier, like how you separate yourself from thinking, oh, well, and I'll just use say Connor Mance, like someone like that who is maybe a full-time athlete and not balancing this. Like how do you not compare so that you don't get clouded? Sure. I mean, it's really tempting, I think, to say like at a, when you're looking at the results of a race that maybe didn't go the way you wanted it to, to be like, oh, well, I have to work full time. And so that's what drags me down. But I found that it's been really important for me not to think of work as a negative for my training, but actually to frame it more as a positive. And, you know, I'm at the point now where I actually fully have internalized and believe this, that me having something else that I am passionate about and care about and want to succeed at is a good thing for my running. Um, 
if running was the only thing I had when, you know, a little injury cropped up or something like that, it, it would consume me. Um, but having sort of this escape to a different world um, where I still feel like what I'm doing is important and I'm excited about it, it helps to keep me grounded in running. And, um, you know, really the, the biggest downside of it is that, like, I might have to run a little earlier in the morning or later at night, which isn't really a big deal. Or I might be on my feet a lot because I work in a laboratory. Um, and again, like, you know, maybe that's just like some cross training. Maybe that's uh, a way to get like some active recovery. in. I'm not just plopping down on the couch after workout and letting my legs get tight, you know, I'm moving around. Um, and so just really focusing in on the positive aspects of running and working or working and running. I'm at the point where I believe that working while running is actually better than running by itself. I think if I was just running, I would not perform nearly as well as I, I have in the past couple races. What about like, do you ever think of people who have like, well, I'm, I'm asking you a question that I think I don't want you to do, but I'm like, <laughs> are you, do you ever fantasize? Like, what if I worked like 15 hours a week and had something I really oh. cared about? You know what I mean? Like, cause you're really all in that. on both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I have thought about that quite a bit. I wish there was a way to like have two part-time jobs kind yeah. of. I mean, there obviously are, but not these jobs. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially as you get closer to the races and the mileage starts really getting intense because it's not just that like it's time, but it's that I can't, it's not even the running that gets impacted. It's my work here. I can't do as much towards the really cool stuff we're doing at MIT as I would like to when we're in the full swing of marathon training. Um, and luckily my coworkers understand that. And they also understand that maybe I just work 35 hours that week instead of 40. Um, but it is actually kind of upsetting to me. And then after every marathon, I sort of try and reverse it where like I'm not running a ton. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go work like 50, 60 hours mm -hmm. a week. And I'm actually going to be there at nine o'clock. Like, and I'm going to, you know, be super productive at work. Um, and then running always ends up taking a backseat during those periods. And when I try to start up running again, I get hurt. Uh -huh. So I wish there was a way to balance it out more evenly. But um, I guess that's not my personality. But also this like having running take a back seat is probably preventing you from burning out. I would think so. I think some people would say <laughs> it's <laughs> taken me way too long to get fit again after Boston. I mean, sure. I'm finally at the point where like workouts are really going well and I'm, I'm feeling really good. Um, but you know, like the month of May was pretty brutal. <laughs> um, and but I what think, are you going to do with May? You know, well, I, I know, mean, it right? was hard like, for you, but like, what's that going to do for you for October? Exactly. It's too soon to start seriously training for a marathon, like a fall marathon. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it's going to be not saying little... it was fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it was fun. It was a great May, but Aww. it's, uh, it's going to be different and hopefully not too difficult to go into the trials buildup because we're not going to have, you know, potentially like a three month grace period where, all right, you just got to get the mileage in and get a good base uh -huh. in and, and come into it fit. Now all of a sudden it's like, you can have a week or two to relax, but then we actually have to hit the training again. Okay. You said it was really fun. I love that. Cause I'm loving focusing on people competing at this really high level. And the reason they do so well is because it's so fun. How do you keep it fun? 
Um, well, first of all, having good people to run with is so important. Um, if like you enjoy just the conversation and company that you keep on a long run, long runs go by so quickly mm -hmm. and like you can run them fast and be conversational and have a great time. And that's like two hours well spent. Um, so true. You're getting, you're checking two boxes. Exactly. You're getting, you're getting social. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, and I also love that there's no phones involved with it. So you can get into an argument, you can have a discussion and nobody's going to Google something or try and prove you wrong love or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then like, you have to have a bit of that like insane competitive bit to get through workouts where even though you understand that like you're working with your teammates and you're all going to get better together, like over the last rep, you all want to like, you know, outkick each other. Yeah. Um, so you have to have some of that to keep it fun as well. Um, but then like one of my college teammates had this theory, which he stupidly named the happiness theory, which <laughs> is that in order to run well, you have to be happy. Uh -huh. um, and that meant that you could justify maybe doing things that weren't like the best for your recovery and whatnot, if it like elevated your whole mood and elevated your spirits, that way you were, you know, better equipped to go running, which, you know, as you know, college students sometimes was just a way to justify like drinking, drinking too much on a Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think there was some truth to it in the sense that like, I shouldn't totally deprive myself of everything. Um, for the sake of running. So, you know, I'm sadly past the age of binge drinking, but, um, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> you know, eating like a pint of ice cream doesn't make me feel as guilty as I know some other runners would feel um, because I, I really enjoy it or going out for like a nice meal or something like that. Even if that wouldn't be technically the best thing for my recovery or my training, um, you know, if it makes me happy, it will make me train better. So where do you land on drinking during marathon training? Like, I don't have like a rule against it or anything. Um, I just don't do it much, if that makes sense. Um, I have a sweet tooth. So to be honest, That's your uh, yeah. yeah, like candy and ice cream is what gets me. And honestly, that might be worse than beer um, <laughs> <laughs> from like a nutritional perspective. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't have a rule against it. Um, you know, even like the week before it, some of my big PR races, like the week before I've had a beer or two with dinner, if it's just friends hanging out and everybody's getting around, then yeah, why not? Um, yeah. I find that beer affects me less than like wine or um, like hard alcohol as far as like mm -hmm. the next day with how I feel. It doesn't, or it, or it affects my sleep less as well. Like if I have a, a beer or two before, like I'm not up all night and if I have wine and this is an age thing probably too, mm -hmm. I'm like <laughs> restless all night. It's like, I don't know, you hit 35 and you just like can't drink wine anymore apparently. Yeah. Lucky for me, I've always been almost exclusively a beer drinker. Uh -huh. Um, I mean, that's not true, right? Who doesn't like a margarita? But right. uh, beer has always been my go-to. Um, Do you have a go-to beer? When I was living in Atlanta, I discovered the best beer in the world, which was called Dr. Robot um, by a brewery called Monday Night Brewing Company. Okay. And man, that was delicious. It was like a raspberry sour, but it wasn't sweet. So oh. I really like sour beers, but a lot of times they're like fruity and very sweet, uh -huh. which... I, I don't enjoy but this one was just like the sourness um and it was so good uh and I haven't found like my go-to beer 
yet in Boston. And also everything in Boston is an IPA or a New England IPA. Yes. Um, which they're not bad, but I, as a guy that really likes sours, I haven't found the, the right one yet. I haven't had a sour beer in so long. I used to be a huge, that was like my thing. Like if I, I want the sour. So I think that's what I'm gonna have to go with next time. I have. Yeah, drink. they're good. Uh, all right, Matt. Well, we'll wrap up here within a podcast. What is something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, I sort of alluded to it before that I would like to be a professor of chemical engineering. So that is what I want to do. And I'm going to call that personally and professionally, even though it's not running professionally, it's just my profession. Um, yeah, so that is what I'm, I'm working towards with this postdoc at MIT. And I'm looking forward to inspiring the next generation of chemical engineers. Love it. So you mentioned that book you read last year, The Body, mm -hmm. what would you call it? The Body, A Guide for Occupants by Bill Bryson. Yeah. Okay. Because I always ask next, what's the best, most recent book you've read? And is that going to be your answer? Either that, or I was actually on a bit of a Bryson streak and I read um, A Brief History of Everything, okay. something like that, or A Short History of Nearly Everything, which okay. is another one of these like super approachable, like comical books, but it just starts with like the Big Bang and ends with like... I don't know, the invention of like computers in like the year 2000 or something. Okay. Um, really easy to read. Nice. Uh, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Or well, <laughs> it feels like <laughs> they'd have to be alive for me to have a drink with them. So my answer would be Eli Manning because I'm a huge Giants fan. And I would love to talk to him about what it was like with two comeback victories over the Patriots. Oh, Probably shouldn't say that as a, a, Boston a Boston resident guy. now, but um, that would be great. But if it could be anyone from history, I would really actually like to talk to, and this is going to make me sound like a nerd again, but uh, Marie Curie. She was um, one of the like discoverers of radioactivity. She won a Nobel wow. Prize in chemistry a long time ago, over 100 years ago, and was really like a pioneer at the time in a field that was almost exclusively men. Um, and her work ultimately killed her. She was like discovering radioactivity mm. and we didn't know the protections and precautions you needed to take. And she died from it. And she had to have known what was going on as her health deteriorated. And just to be able to talk to her about like everything she sacrificed for science and whatnot, I think that would be so cool. And to do so in an environment that was just hostile to women. Like yeah. it, it must've been something else. How old was she when she died? Um, I think she was in her sixties or fifties, okay. like not, not, not super old, young, but, not but super like young, it yeah. was definitely from radiation poisoning. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Um, and I loved your Eli Manning cause I'm from Indiana. So, you know, <laughs> Peyton, Peyton's the, Peyton yep, all I've the got way a lot of Indiana. respect for Peyton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I love those answers. Okay. What's your last message to leave with the audience today? Um, I think the last thing that I want to say is that really there's no nothing special about me or really I think any of the, the top marathon runners in the U.S. I think we're all just pretty dedicated mm. and excited about it. And it's an exciting time to be an American marathon runner. Um, and that you shouldn't assume that there's something special about us that you don't have as well that would prevent you from going after your own dreams, whether or not they're in a marathon or something else. But uh, 
yeah, it's not some innate thing you're born with. It's just hard work and love, love of the sport. Okay. I, I don't normally have follow up questions with that, but I kind of do now. <laughs> Let's um, go. Like, how do you motivate yourself to work so hard? Because you could be a mediocre, and I say in quotes because writing a 220 is not a mediocre, but I, no, you know what not. I mean? Like, <laughs> with your ability, you could be like cruising in at 220, 225, but like, why do you choose to elevate to that next level and work so hard? Well, I guess I'm a little bit insane. But I don't think that is special. I think anybody can whip themselves into that sort of frenzy if they want to and they believe in it and they sort of engulf themselves in it. Um, and then, you know, this is the biggest cliche ever, but habits are so helpful. Mm. If like you have the habit of waking up at a certain time and for me, it's drinking my coffee and, you know, playing Wordle um, and then doing my run, uh, that makes it so much easier. And then when you're really struggling... I find that it's actually easiest to just take all of the decision-making out of the process. So mm. there's been like studies and whatnot that say like every decision you make like drains your like mental battery a little bit. Um, and so when it's really difficult training, I'll go for the same exact run every single day. Just something to like, I no longer have to make the decisions about, am I going left or right at this street, uh. you know? Um, but that's for when it's really exhausting and tiring. I'm glad I asked that follow. That's such a good answer. And I do that every day. I'm like, should I run now? Should I run later? Because I do have flexibility here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, if I just said I go every day at seven, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, sometimes you have to take that freedom away from yourself. Yes. To make it possible to accomplish what you want to do long term. Freedom's amazing. The freedom's amazing, <laughs> but it can be the enemy sometimes. That's so true. Yeah, well, I've heard like, um, I think it was Barack Obama, like used to have all his suits picked out for him for like a week because then he didn't have to it. waste the energy thinking about what he was going to wear. And, you know, when you're making such important decisions, even little decisions like that, that drain your battery a little bit can put you over the top. Wow. Okay, good. You just made me feel a lot better about how exhausted I feel with all these kids in my house <laughs> because I feel like I'm always making decisions. So you just like justified that craziness. I thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's real too. That's like, I didn't just make that up. <laughs> no, that's science. Yeah. Have you read Atomic Habits? I have not, but I okay. probably should. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that a lot of that book is based on that theory. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I actually put it down because I, when I, read it when I started reading it I had just read like a bunch of like self-helpy type books and I was like yeah my brain feel, can't handle this <laughs> sometimes it's like too preachy a little bit yeah, I feel. yeah cool well Matt thank you so much for um taking time to do this with us no thank you it was a it was a blast all right everybody thanks so much for being here today thank you Matt for coming on the podcast what an awesome guest you all can find Matt on social media he is Old McDonald 93 on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram. And if you want to learn more about this show and all the shows in our network, go to sandyboyproductions.com. That is where all the sponsor discount codes are as well. Everything we talked about. And you can sign up for our newsletter there and it can be delivered to you directly. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you've had a great summer and we will see you next week on All Have Another.